Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I know. Good evening, everyone. So, today's a really, really busy day. A lot happens today. Um, let's briefly go over the events of today. Whereas the other days, whereas the other days we have, we have themes for the whole night, um, today is a lot more event-based. Um, so we're going to go through the events one by one just so we can get a picture of what's going on. So let's start with the day of Thursday. The day of Thursday is the day where there is no subtlety. All the prophecies are very, very, very explicit. The first, one of the first prophecies is, is from Moses in Exodus. It says, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So here we can see the literal image of Moses holding up his hands as the cross. And this is how we start the prophecies of the day. And I think this is intentional, because now there is, there is no pretense. We are coming to the day of the Lord. And so the church is guiding us to see that the events are happening. And we have to focus. So as you know, we have a liturgy this morning. Um, and in, in the day of Thursday, we start, we start with the chant. We start with the procession, the, the clockwise procession, as, as Father John explained yesterday, the Judas chant. And the, the Gospels uh, of the liturgy and the Gospels of, of the day speak about the Passover. Of course, Christ is the lamb about to be offered and slain. He is... He is the new Passover. So in the liturgy, we have the blessing of the water. The prayers of the liturgy of the blessing of the water are very similar to the funeral service that is prayed after the liturgy of the Eucharist on Palm Sunday. So just as a warning, I'm stealing this right from another church, from their, from their Paschal uh, their Paschal. Uh, their paschal guides. So this is from St. Timothy and St. Athanasios. The prayers of the liturgy of the blessing of the water is very similar to the funeral service that is prayed after the liturgy of the Eucharist on Palm Sunday. However, the meaning and purpose of this liturgy differs. On Palm Sunday, the main purpose of the water is a precautionary measure of the church just in case one member of the church departs during Holy Week. It is a preparation of Holy Week instituted by the church. However, the Laan service on Thursday is a specific tradition that follows the example of Christ, who washed the feet of his disciples before Passover. These prayers and readings of this liturgy are also very similar to those of baptism. Following the liturgy of the water, we celebrate the divine liturgy of the Eucharist. Again, this is the first and only sacrament, outside of confession and repentance, that is celebrated during the Holy Passion Week. The reason we celebrate the liturgy on Thursday is because in the evening, our Lord established the sacrament of the Eucharist after the Last Supper, when he gave his pure body and precious blood to his disciples in the form of bread and wine. So the, we end the day with, uh, with the 11th hour, and in the Gospel of the 11th hour, um, we see that Jesus is foretelling of his betrayal. So of course, this is, this is um, in the time of, of, of the Last Supper. When, when he's, like, very, very explicitly, it's not, it's not hidden. He's, he's giving Judas a warning of what's going to happen and what he's going to do. And this leads us to today. 
to the eve of Friday, to right now. In the first hour, the Last Supper has been eaten, and he speaks to them and announces his departure, recalls his ministry full of deeds, words, and miracles. As Abuna John um, stated, and we, we have the, the Gospel of St. John, and we read extensively almost four chapters from the Gospel of St. John. He's urging them to keep the commandments and to preserve unity among themselves. And at last, he prays for them to prepare us for the message of love. The church adds the words, The Lord is my strength, my praise, and has become my holy salvation to the Paschal hymn, Thoktetigom, thine is the power. This is another reminder that the Lord is preparing himself for the crucifixion. In the third hour, we've moved from the, the upper room in the house of Mark, and we've moved to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden, in the first garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam fell to temptation. But in the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam, our Lord, prevailed over temptation. Such power is only given through prayer and submission to God's will. The first Adam was cast out of the garden and kept out by an angel, while God sent an angel to strengthen and comfort the second Adam. And we read this, and we read this in Luke chapter 22. In the sixth hour, we have the prayer of Jesus. During this hour, Christ asks the disciples to sit with him and to stay awake. He urges them three times to stay awake and pray, for his betrayers are at hand. Through such persistence, the Lord teaches us the importance of vigil in times of trouble. The ninth hour, of course, is the seizing of Christ, where we have the betrayal of Judas. And in the eleventh hour, we have the false trial, where we also have the betrayal of Peter. And that leads us to right now. So, our theme this year is lost and found. Um, and we're going, to look at, we're going to look at Luke 15, where we have the parable, which is a set of three stories. Um, we have the lost sheep, we have uh, the lost coin, and of course we have the parable of the father and his two sons. So we're focusing on lost and found, and it says it twice in this passage. In verse 24, right after the father reconciles with the son, he says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. And he says it again when he is trying to reconcile with his older son. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we want to look, uh, we want to look at this reading, at the parable of the lost sons, um, in the lens of uh, a first century Jew, a first century Middle Easterner. Um, but I want to take it actually one step further. I want to look at it in terms of who Jesus was actually speaking to when he told this parable. And so to see who he's speaking to, let's read Luke uh, uh, 15, 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying. So in verse 2, it tells us who, who his target audience is here. It's the upper class. It's the people who should understand. It's the people who, um, who deem themselves the highest of the high in Jewish society, the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is interesting because this means that this parable, in all its nuance, has to be understood in its nuance. That means this parable, which has a lot of, a lot of imagery, has to be understood in that context. We can't, we can't have the justification that the people would not understand the very high level of imagery that Jesus Christ is using. Because this was for the people who studied this. In verse 3, um, it says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, And this is where we have the parable, which is actually the three parables in one. 
we have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the father and the two lost sons. So this is intended to be read all together in Tridem. It's not intended to be three separate parables, but the first two parables complement the third parable and give the Pharisees an understanding of what's happening and lead up to the grand finale. So let's focus on Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to the father, but he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So yesterday we spoke about, we spoke about this verse, but we spoke about it in a different light. We saw, we saw the matronly aspects, the matronly characteristics, the motherly characteristics of the father here. How he was able to run, how he was able to, to, to get out of the house, and how he was able to show the compassion. That was not something that is something that um, a, a, Jewish, a, a Jewish landowner, a Jewish patriarchy at the time would have done. But I want to look at it in a different light. I want to look at it as the Father actually being a symbol of Christ as well, and Christ as the suffering servant. So I underlined the parts that are about suffering, and we bolded the parts that are about the servant. So when he says, he was still a great way off, um, and he ran, there's, there's a couple of implications here that, of course, the Jews would understand, and we, and we spoke about yesterday, so we won't go too much into detail. For him to be... For him to see and for him to be a great way off implies that he was in his fields. It implies that the father was not where the father should be in the house dealing with the affairs of the house. But he was outside where the servants would be. He was outside where the workers would be. And this is very important because this shows us the, the depths that the father is willing to go to for his son. Father John spoke about this in a sermon a few weeks ago. How how foolish it would look for a father to be in this situation. Imagine a situation where you're already a little disgraced as a father. Actually, you're very disgraced. One of your two sons has disowned you. He's taken part of your land. He sold it, and he, he's gone to a faraway land to waste the money. The father already is in a bad light. And what does he do? He takes the role of a servant. He, 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 he does something that the Jews would find insane. He does something that the Jews would think is outlandish. Maybe this man has gone mad. We also see the father as a sufferer. We see the father and his sadness. The father saw him and had compassion on him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. When I read this, I, I see the compassion. When I see he fell on him and he kissed him. When I see the words fell and kissed, I don't just see someone who's, who's, who's doing like the typical Egyptian kiss on the cheeks. I see someone who's collapsed on their son, who is so happy to have seen their son. I see someone who is at the breaking point in a mixture of happiness and sadness. Someone who doesn't know how to let go of all these emotions that they have. This was against all cultural norms. It was against his own reputation. It was against all Jewish traditions. And the father was, the father was willing to do this. And this, this reminds us of, of what we read today in Isaiah, in the Thursday prophecy. So it, it's, it's quite a long prophecy, but let's focus on two verses here. Um, and, and funny enough, if, if you look up these verses in the Bible, in the, new, um, in the NIV version, it's actually called the suffering and the glory of the servant. And in the New King James Version, it's called the sin-bearing servant and the sin-bearing Messiah. So here they actually explicitly tell you it is about the suffering servant. So the two verses I want to focus on, Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. 
it, it, it's interesting to have this contrast of a servant who's held up high. But that is exactly who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And this is what we do. This is what we say today in the prophecies. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here, here we see that the Lord is willing to suffer for us. And this is very, very, very important as the events of today, um, as the events of today transpire. Looking back to the verse, and, and fell on his neck and kissed him. When, when I read this verse, it, I, I, I actually spent quite a while on this verse. I was trying to find a specific reference, and I, I, and I asked some friends to find a specific reference. Um, and uh, it's not the exact reference I want to use, but it's very, very close. In the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, in the Greek Orthodox Church, um, it says, O only begotten Son and Logos of God, being immortal, you condescended for our salvation to take flesh from the Holy Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary, and without change, and became man. The word I want to focus on is condescension. The Father has absolutely no reason. It's actually against everything that the Jewish tradition believes in for him to condescend himself to come into this position. He's actually putting himself um, in a negative light by doing this. And similarly, this is, this is what Jesus Christ did for us. Today, when we have the washing of the feet, um, it's... it's it's almost embarrassing. It's almost embarrassing for us to go through it. If you've ever been able to partake in the washing of the feet, you'll know what I'm talking about. You, you feel shy almost to go to, to a priest and have him wash your feet. You go shy to go to someone you respect and have them do this for you. And this embarrassment, this condescension, is something that, that God is always willing to do for us. It's the embarrassment of grace. Why we feel embarrassed is because we feel unworthy. So when I was reading this, it reminded me of, like a, of, of actually the reason I'm at SMSK right now. So it was, it was three years ago around, around Pascha time. Uh, one of the servants, I was, I was really new to the church, one of the servants asked me to run an errand. And I was in university at the time. I had all the free time in the world, so you know. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm about to go to the store to pick up, to pick up the item. And, and the servant flips me their, their keys to their very expensive car. Um, I, I don't drive downtown. I barely drive as it is. And the car I drive is, is, is like my parents' old beater. So when I got these keys, I just froze up awkwardly. Like, I was so embarrassed. Um, the key did not have, like, a key on it. Like, it was like a key I've never seen before. I was like, I don't even know how to work this thing. I, I, felt, I, felt, I felt embarrassed. I felt the grace and the graciousness of my fellow servant towards me. And that was one of the reasons I, I stayed, is because of this, is because of the willingness of the servants. And, and this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't a tap on our backs as SMSK. This is simply an example that has been felt at many, many, many places. But it is an example that we should take as the people we should be, as the people we should be to embarrass other people with grace, to, to embarrass other people with, with how willing we are uh, to do things for them, even if we don't know them. So we have, we have this embarrassment of grace that we feel. But there was also an exchange that occurred. So in verse 21 and 22, And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For the son, 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. So the son's repentance leads to his reinstatement as an heir. When, when they say that, uh, and, and we spoke about this yesterday at length, um, and they put a ring on his hand. The ring, the signet, what this, uh, was a sign of royalty, was a sign of, um, of, of authority. And he's also, the, in this we can see how he's reunited with the church, the robe, the, the holy priest robe. And once again, we're able to see how now he's able to walk in the way of the Lord. Um, he, he, he now has sandals on his feet. And this is something that we're all called towards. And, and it's interesting imagery, especially with the washing of the feet. The sandals were a way of pure, they, they were a type of purification. They're a way of allowing him to go into the house, to be allowed back into the house, um, and to go into the feast. Now let's compare this to the Last Supper, what, what, what we took and what Christ took. To, to go back to this for one second, what, so what did the father take? Obviously the son got all this, but what did he take from, from, from his son? Well, he actually took guilt and shame. He, he, took, he, he, he looked foolish. And this is what our, our, our Lord is willing to do for us. Going to the Last Supper and, and the events leading to the Last Supper with the washing of the feet and what Jesus was, was willing to give to us. He gave us of himself. He literally gave us himself. Eat my body and drink my blood. We see, we see some other parallels here between the between the, the, the exchange of grace, especially when it comes to being merry and having a feast, and, and the Passover. We see that the feast was, was a way of reinstating the son into, in, in, into his father's house. We see that the, the feast was not a feast necessarily for the son, but for the father. It was, it was the father who, who, found his, who found his son again. In the translation, it says he was lost and now he was found. This, this translation to the Jews would have been understood as, my son was dead, and now I have resurrected him. I have saved him. The past tense was used, as you know, in, 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 the, in the Jewish tradition, uh, they were very, very afraid of using the name of the Lord. And so one way of speaking about the Lord with, with, without ensuring that they've used the name of the Lord is by speaking in the past tense. And this is why it's worded like this. But the true translation of what we understand is that the son was dead, and that is what he meant by he is lost. And by him found, it, he has been saved. He has been resurrected. He has been, he has been um, alive again. And this is what the Passover was about. When, when the angel of death passed over the houses, and there was, there, there's this transition from death to life, this is, this is exactly what, what we're speaking about today. Interestingly enough, we have, we, have another, um, we have another connection to the Last Supper. In the Last Supper, we have, um, we have Judas Iscariot, who left the room, who left the supper. And this is similar to a character in this story, who left the party. And this is where the lesson to the Pharisees comes into play. But the older son was angry and would not go in. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment. And at any times, at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might marry, make merry with my friends. The, the parallels are interesting between, between both the Pharisees and Judas with, with the older son in this in this sense. So let's focus on Judas and then we'll go to the Pharisees. 
with Judas, Judas was, was at the Last Supper. He was warned. He was given instruction. And he still left. He permitted himself to leave. The Last Supper is, is a big deal. The last, like, to, for the Jews, that's the, it's, it's like our Easter in terms of, in terms of, in terms of how, how, how important it is in the yearly calendar. The, the party that the father hosted for the son is, is, is similarly a very, very big deal. This isn't, this isn't a party. This isn't a birthday celebration. This is a baptism. This is a son who was dead and is born again. This is the Passover. This is, this is not something that can be undermined, the importance of this celebration. And for a son to leave that celebration is, is not something that would not go unnoticed. This is something that the people would have seen and they would have understood the, the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, as something that is very, very, very um, like deplorable for a family to go through. It's, so, so a couple of years ago, my, my sister got married, and my other sister was, uh, was the maid of honor. It's like if my sister did not show up to the, to the reception. It's like if my sister stormed out of the reception. It's not something that can go and be swept under the rug. Like This is, this is, this is a big deal. And so we see the parallels between between this and the Last Supper. Now let's focus on the Pharisees. So the older son has separated himself from the father's love. When it says he was angry and, and would not go in, he would not go in to the church. He would not go in um, to the Passover meal. He, would, he refused to be in communion with his father. I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment. I wanted to make merry with my friends. This is, this is pure dissociation. He is leaving himself. He's omitting himself from the family. He wants to make merry with his friends, not with his father. He's been serving him, he says. He, he's not his son. This is not a sonship. This is, this is, uh, this is a relationship of a servant and a, and a master. And, and the father can feel nothing but betrayed at this point. The father can feel nothing but betrayed. And this is important because this is the same type of sin that the Pharisees have been committing. Although they have not transgressed to the letter of the law, they refused to love Christ. And they refused to love their fellow man. They refused to be the people they have been called to be. And they simply were a technicality. Similarly, for, 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 the, for the son... Imagine how, imagine how the father would have felt. It's similar to how Jesus would have felt with Judas. In the Psalms we read today, had it been my enemy, I could have endured. A betrayal of a friend is very different than the betrayal of an enemy. A betrayal of a son, dissociation from a son to a father is a very, very big deal. And that's, that's, it, it, it's the same thing. The, the, the family that Jesus had on this earth were the people that, that, he, that he was nomadic with. He, he, he lived in the gardens with them. He walked around uh, Jerusalem with them. These are the people that he, he saw day in and day out more than we would even see our family. And these are the ones who betrayed him. Going back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, in verse 2, it says, they complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The, the Pharisees were proud of their legalism but they had no, no intention of, of loving Christ. And all through this, the Father and our Lord Christ still takes up the role of a suffering servant. The Father came out and pleaded with him. 
He came out of he came out of maybe the most important event of the last 10 years of his life. He, the one who would have been at the head table, it would have been noticed if he left. He should not have left. He took the role of a servant and left the party. He suffered through this, through the embarrassment, as well as the anguish of knowing his son's not with him. And he was pleading with his son. Imagine the day that the father had. This isn't, this isn't like this is the first emotional instance the father's had. He's had a pretty rough day. So for him to have to go through this too, it's, 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 it's torture. It's pure agony, as we will see tomorrow on the cross. Let's focus on ourselves. So this parable ends by saying, And he said to him, the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This is a little bit of a strange ending. It, it kind of leaves on a cliffhanger. We don't see the next sentence. We see the part where, where the father is trying to get back with his son, but we don't see the son trying to get back with his father. And this, is, this was done intentionally. This was the accumulation. This was the, the apex of the parable that started with, that started with the lost sheep, uh, went to the lost coin, and now is with the father and his two sons. They had endings, but this one does not. He was leaving it for the Pharisees to decide who they wanted to be. He was leaving it for the Pharisees to decide if they wanted to stay lost. And remember, lost means dead. Or if they want to be found, saved. And so, today we remember that it's not only the Pharisees who this question is posed to. This question is also posed to us. And glory be to God forever. Amen.